0: Good morning, uh, come on, come on, who said good morning, put your hand up, come on, want to embarrass you, Shame. come on, who put your hand up, well done, you've got a special place in heaven because you are honest, yeah, okay, good evening, it is very, very good to be with you, if I've not met you yet, it's great to see you, um, we have to put the lights up a little bit on the people on the balcony as well, so I can see I haven't got my glasses on, but uh, There we go, because I want to see you guys as well. Hello in the balcony. Didn't seem quite so sure about that, did they? Anyway, there you go. It's really good to see you. So, welcome to Trinity, if you're here especially for the first time, as as Gareth said. It's just lovely having you here as the guests of Jesus, basically in this place. And I just really... endorse what Gareth has said about coming along to the comedy night uh, and then thinking about Alpha uh, as a great way of connecting in with us uh, but also obviously I, I, I say this a lot and I, I say the same things a lot basically so I apologize um, well I don't really um, I think for lots of people Christianity can feel a bit like you've come into a film halfway you know and, and you come in it started a bit earlier than you thought. You, you creep into your seat. You sort of kind of sit down on someone's lap. And then you move across and sit down on the next seat. And, and you, you get this film that's going on. And you're desperate to ask the person beside you, what happened in the first half? Why, why is she with... What? You don't get it. And I think, I think this Christianity stuff, following Jesus can feel a little bit like that. And maybe that's you know if that's how you feel, there's all those things. You're almost embarrassed. You've been kind of going along with it for a little while. Or you're just here new. You're almost embarrassed to ask, well, Alpha is such a good place to ask those questions. So it's a, it's a new term. Some of you student guys, it is really a new term. Uh, for lots of us, as I was saying again a couple of weeks ago, um, it feels like the beginning of the real year, doesn't it? This sort of time in the autumn. I, I'm not an autumn person. I, I am already slightly sad. Okay, I am. I am struggling and holding on for the twenty-first of December. Then I will be happy again, because the days will get longer. I am already. Fit, I don't know, but a new term has started. And maybe you're just sort of kind of wanting to, to reset things. You're you're thinking about you know everything, and you're just sort of saying, okay, I really want to get I really want to get on the program. You made any resolutions? You know, we make New Year resolutions. Anyone made any September resolutions? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you just turn to your neighbour and tell them either what your resolution is or what your resolution should be for for a new term. Okay, off you go, there you go. What is your resolution or what should it be? Okay, here we go, we're on this microphone. Ah, look at this. Camera operator's gone to sleep. Uh, sound desk gone to sleep. I'm just moving around. Where's the camera? Yeah, yeah. They can't catch me, can you? No. So, Mike. Oh. Always, always pays to pay attention, Mike. My fault. My fault. If you were making a resolution, or have made a resolution, what would it be? Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. He's saying, don't say it. <laughs> No, say it. You've got to say it now, haven't you? What's the resolution? I'll steal his uh, discipline. Oh, discipline! Oh, what a good resolution, discipline. I like that. This is a, this is a good church. What about, what about? Um Yes, just lots of people. I do this, can I just say, that when I go to things like New Wine Conference, anyone been to New Wine Conference, you know what New Wine is? It's a a big festival, lots of Christians all camping and pretending they're happy. They are happy, (laughs) not about the camping bit. And you sometimes have, you know when you have those really prophetic speakers, the ones who sort of are saying, I can see somebody in a green shirt with the number seven, And if you're sitting there, as I was one year, in a green shirt with a number seven, I subtly put my hand up like that, and then just sort of kind of went like this. That's my confession for the night. So over here, can I ask someone, here you go, have you got, uh, it's Philip, isn't it? I met Philip at the Welcome Supper. Hey, come on, I've remembered Philip's name. Philip's under here. He's about six foot four, really good looking. Okay. Philip, if you were making a resolution, if you got a resolution, what would it be? Um, to not be late for work. To not be late for work. Gareth, there you go. I can make that resolution as well, couldn't I? Yeah, okay. Faye, I happen to know Faye as well. You see, I'm picking, it's all right just chill and relax. I'm picking on people whose names I know. Faye, we rehearsed this before, didn't we, really carefully? Hello. You've got a really funny answer for everyone. And it's just going to be the, It's going to bring the whole house down. Ready? Uh, slower pace of life, I'm afraid. <laughs> slower pace of life. Great. Okay. So, so why don't we say thank you to them? Well, it does feel like a game show, doesn't it, at the moment? Hey, you're here to do some work. It's not a spectator sport, being a Christian, is it? So have you made a resolution? Well, we've made a resolution as a church. We have said, we want to know what God wants for us over the next season in, uh, in our time. We, uh, this church has an amazing history, an amazing heritage. There's been wonderful, wonderful leaders that have served in this place faithfully over all the years. And as I said on my first Sunday when I was here, it's just a real privilege for myself and Nikki just to come and, and pick up the baton, take on the baton. And the thing is, what God wants us to be as a church just continues in terms of making committed disciples of Jesus Christ. People who are really following Jesus and, and walking the walk. That, that carries on. But, but what does that look like in the next few years for us? We're asking that question. And so we're in this series Based on Micah six eight. Now, if we put the words up on the screen, there, some of you will know these words. You've been with us. This sort of kind of comes in in the middle of God's story with His people in the Old Testament part of our Bibles, the first half of our Bible. Some of us know our Bibles really well. Maybe you are here tonight and you don't know your Bible so well. There was a, a prophet, a guy called Micah, who was speaking to God's people, and he was. He was trying to help God's people get back on track. They they were doing all kinds of religious stuff. The problem was that their hearts were in the wrong place with with God. Their heart was not in it. And And the Micah challenge is about the heart. Let's just put that verse back up on the screen. So basically if you read the book of Micah and it is worth reading... God spends a little bit of time through Micah saying, I'm really not interested in your religious stuff. They were doing sacrifices. They were doing all kinds of rituals, all kinds of things. Outward show. And God says, I'm just not interested in that. What I'm interested in is your your heart. And it's it's not like I'm playing games with you. It's not like uh, I think sometimes we can think this about God. It's not like God is sort of saying, "I'm over here behind this locked door," and and you've got to find the key. I'm not going to tell you what it looks like or or what it is. Uh, you know, you've got to find it and work it out for yourself. And if you can open the door, then then you can find me. People, I think, wonder if God plays games with us in that kind of way that God. He's almost just always slightly out of touch. That's not true. That's not true. In fact, the Bible says it's completely the opposite way around. That, that God in the person of Jesus is knocking on the door. And he wants to come in. So again, we just put those words up. So God says, look, I've already shown you what is good. You want to have the right kind of relationship with me. I'm not playing games with you. I'm not interested in this outward religious show. What I want is your heart. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with you, our God. And we're just spiralling around those three key things, acting justly, loving mercy and walking humbly with God. We're asking ourselves, first of all, last month we were asking ourselves, what do those things tell us about who God is? And then now in this bit of the series, these three, we're saying to ourselves, so what? If this is who God is, justice, mercy, humility, so what? does that mean for us? And then in our next set of three, we're going to be thinking about how how this sends us out. And we've heard some lovely testimony, lovely story about that from Will earlier on. What does it mean to be sent out in justice, mercy and humility? And and if you know your Bibles, you'll know that's the pattern of the Bible. That's the way that the church first grew. It's always this way round. You do the inner stuff first. You have to invite the Holy Spirit to to come in. For those of you who don't know the Holy Spirit, that's God with us now. God on the inside, in our hearts. You invite God to do an inside out job. He transforms who we are. And then he sends us out, leads us out in mission. The two go together. Too many Christians spend their time just trying to sit and wallow in the first bit and never get on with the second bit. The two, the one leads into the other. And so what does it mean? So what if God is justice? We asked that last week, didn't we? We said, you know, the so what, if God defines what's right and what's wrong, if God is the answer to evil and suffering in our world, if if actually evil and suffering in our world point us to God, not away from God, because he's the answer to it. If his, if his character is mercy. If, if God treats us mercifully. If on the cross when, when God came down in Jesus and died on the cross. God's justice was being met by God's mercy. No fudge. No fudge. If his pattern for humility. His, his getting things in the right way, the right order. Humility in the Bible doesn't mean putting yourself down. It means having a proper sense of who God is and who we are. So what? So what? Well, last week, Zoe, Gareth's wife, was reflecting that the so what of God's justice is that we don't have to try and barter with God. We don't have to try and do good works to get ourselves into God's good books. We don't do religious duty. That's what those people in Micah's day had got wrong. They were doing religious duty. No, the so what is what we call grace. God's love poured out for us. And we can live in that grace, we can live in response to that God. Next week, I'm going to be talking about, or we're going to be talking as a church, about humility and how, how the so what is in, in our relationships with others. But tonight, I want to talk about the so what of mercy. I want to, I want to reflect on how the truth that, that God is mercy and that he calls us to love mercy means that we can live at peace with ourselves. We can live at peace with ourselves. Now, I just want to ask that question. Are you at peace with yourself? With who you are? Let me just get into this by telling you about an incident on our summer holiday, my beautiful wife and beautiful daughters. Let me, let me paint the scene for you. We were in Cannes in the south of France. Very chic, very chic. I had driven my Aston Martin down to the south of France. <laughs> if only, Lord. Etna. We had found, though, a lovely apartment. With a balcony, a terrace, a terrasse even. La terrasse. And it was looking over the sea, over the mare. It was beautiful. And on the first night we set up the table and put the stuff out. We put some candles out on on the table on the terrasse. We put a little wine, it was only a very tiny amount of wine, clearly, but there was a little wine, there was a little cheese, a little bread, a few little delicacies, and we sat on Sieur, the terrasse. And the lead pastor looked, and it was good. And at that moment, the lead pastor's wife, the beautiful Nikki, went to get something from the kitchen, cuisine. She walked back across the beautiful apartment that the the pastor had arranged, walked out onto the terrace and shut the door. And there was a click (laughs) and the lead pastor turned to the lead pastor's wife and said "Um, you haven't shut the door have you she said yes I got up I went over to the door the door was fermé It was zut alors plus de fermé. It was complètement fermé. Il n'a pas ouvert. At all. The lead pastor took this well. Oh, come on, what have you done, you stupid person? What have you done? We all tried all of the various glass doors along the whole of the terrace. Not a single one of them would ouvert. Not a single one. tout le monde est fermé. The lead pastor at this point is in total meltdown. Whoever he may be. Il est pacing sur la terrasse. I don't believe it. What have you done? It was... A dreadful scene, it really was a dreadful scene. My darling wife was sitting slumped, going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I just shut the door really gently. And I'm going, no, you were heavy-handed with the door. I hadn't actually confessed that I had left it slightly open, because I had noticed previously that the lock was a bit dodgy. And I had not mentioned this to my wife I tell you what, that terrace was full of so much guilt and shame, you will not believe it. We were stuck out there. What on earth were we going to do? We started looking out over the balcony for people that we could shout at in broken English and poor French. Finally, my daughter took out her mobile phone. God bless mobile phones. And she rang little Pierre, because I'm sure that was his name. And Pierre happened to have a spare clef. (laughs) Praise God. And opened the door. And we got out. That scene went from absolute joy to absolute disaster. And I have to hold my hands up to being completely responsible. There was guilt and there was shame and it was terrible. We just put this slide up about shame and guilt. You see, when I ask you about living at peace, I know that we live in a culture that uses shame and guilt as a, a tool, as a A weapon even against us. You may know that over the years people have said that in the West our culture tends to be a a guilt culture. That that means that primarily we have a sense of if things are wrong from inside ourselves. It's about our our personal conscience. And traditionally it's been said that, that countries in the Far East, the Middle East, some parts of Africa are a shame-based culture. So the primary, the primary concern is what everybody else thinks. But this is the point. It, shame says that you have done something wrong. The crowd says you have done something wrong. In a, in a guilt culture, you, you think to yourself, I have done something wrong. And the the net result is that you're on your own. When we're parenting, we need to think about how we bring up our children and don't bring them up in a a sense of shame or a sense of guilt. The the main weapon is you will be ostracised, you will be alienated, you will be divided. I wonder if you agree that We may once have been a guilt-based culture. We may once have thought that our kind of primary way of wanting to live right and do the right thing was because of an inner sense of guilt. But actually now, that actually we're moving into a a shame-based culture. I mean, if I just put this picture up that sort of says something about social media, isn't the truth now that we are living in a culture where we're more bothered about what everybody else thinks? And and if we want to say what we think is, is right, if we believe we want to say that actually, sorry, folks, we think the truth is, then we better be ready for a lot of people to comment on us. Facebook or you, uh, whatever WhatsApp or Twitter. I just wonder what we think is the impact of that on us. You see, maybe maybe you're here tonight, and you are sort of there is a sense of guilt. There's a sense of things that have not being right, that you feel within yourself, your own conscience, your own inner voice is speaking to you the whole time and saying, you're just not good enough. You're, you've done that wrong. You've messed up. Or maybe you are here tonight and you are phenomenally worried and it's completely understandable why you would be. You are worried about what other people think of you that sense that you might get of shame if you're out of step with everybody else actually weighs on you. You see, in our culture, people around you will tell you there's, there's three ways that you can deal with that. The first is the kind of intellectual way. And that is to say to you, you only need to feel guilty about things that you think are wrong. So just stop thinking that those things are wrong and you now won't feel guilty. Just move the goalposts. That's an intellectual An intellectual way of thinking. You could say to yourself, I think the expectations of the past, I could think the expectations of the Bible are just unrealistic. They're they're all culturally bound. And so they don't apply. And if they don't apply, I don't need to worry about them. Some people actually use religion as a way of trying to deal with a sense of guilt and a sense of shame. I mean, within our Christian tradition, people can go through the motions, try and do the stuff to kind of please God and pay God off. As I've already said, that's what was going on in Micah's day. But if you think about new age spirituality, if you think about a little pick and mix, I'll have a little bit of this Reiki healing here. I'll have a little bit of that stuff over there. I'll have a little bit of this bit here. There's a sense in the spirituality of our age, the new age stuff, that it's a way of just trying to deal with this guilt or the shame through those things. And then of course there's the physical ways, aren't there? You just drink a lot or you take drugs or you do whatever that stops you feeling guilty or stops you feeling any sense of shame. One of my favourite films is The Matrix. Some of you are far too young to remember The Matrix It's a film about alternative realities. Neo, the central character, is a computer hacker. He comes into contact with a shadowy group who tell him, Neo, what you can see is not real. There is an alternative reality beyond what you can see. And he meets this guy, Orpheus. And Orpheus, in a famous bit in the film, says, Neo, do you want the red pill or the blue pill? If you take the blue pill, well, everything will just be back to normal. You'll forget this ever happened. You'll carry on thinking the way the world is, is the way the world is. Or if you take the red pill, you'll understand the truth. We're living often, I have to say, in a blue pill world. And it doesn't work. And the Bible says to us, God says to us, because I am mercy, there is a different way. And the way is Jesus. The way is to accept that on the cross, Jesus paid all of the penalty For anything that we can ever do or will do wrong. That on the cross we see how God loves us unrelentingly. How God is seeking a relationship with us. Shame and guilt tell us that we will get cut off. God says I'm not going to let you get cut off. I'm coming to find you. I'm coming to find you. I want you. I want you in relationship with me. And I will pay the penalty. I will pay the penalty. You do not have to walk around with a sense of guilt. You do not have to be influenced by the shame of the majority. You just have to have me and my love. You see, shame says to us and guilt says to us that we're on our own. It's it's I. I have the problem. Or or others turning to us and saying, you, you have the problem. But God says, God says it's us. That in Jesus, God has completely identified himself with us. Our brokenness, who we really are. Some of you may know that some people brought a woman to Jesus one time and they wanted to stone her for adultery. And Jesus went over to the woman and he picked her up and he says, if you haven't committed a sin, any of you here who have done what is wrong, you throw the first stone. And they shrank away. In Jesus, God has identified Himself completely with us as human beings. And on the cross, He opens the way to no shame, no guilt. And his Holy Spirit works inside us to change us. I haven't got time tonight to show you all of the Bible references. But I, but I just love the story of Peter. If you know the story of Peter in our Bibles. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers. Peter, who was the gung-ho guy who said, Jesus, I'll be with you right to the very end. Jesus warned him and said, No, some of you are going to reject me. There's so much forces at work in the world you don't understand. Peter said, No. He thought he could ignore God's warnings about what the world is like. Jesus said, you can't do it in your own power. Peter said, no, I'll never deny you. He thought he didn't need God's strength. And then when the servant girls in the story, if you read it, said to Peter, oh, you were with Jesus, he says, no, 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 three times. Thought he could do it in his own strength, thought he could ignore God's warnings and ultimately was more bothered about what the crowd thought than what God thought. But Peter does some things right. In our Bibles, we read that when that happened, when, when the three denials happened and a cock crowed, if you may know the story, Peter weeps bitterly. He falls on God's mercy and then we read in our, in our Bibles that, that Peter kept meeting with the rest of the Christians. Because when Jesus comes back to restore him, Peter is with the Christians, with them. He hasn't skulked off and, and sort of hidden. And he's fully restored. Fully restored. And then if you know the story, you know that in Peter... God then builds his church. Somebody who has done that journey into recognition of his own weakness. And has been restored out of it. Is the one who has the story to tell. Who has the reliance on God. That we cannot stand up to this shame and this guilt stuff on our own. We don't need to. We don't need to. God is here now tonight. The Holy Spirit is here tonight. He wants to bring freedom to us. He wants to bring release for us. He wants us to know that, that our, we're not the sum of our body image or what, or what the social media tells us we are. We're not, we're not designed and, and created to try and emulate celebrities. God says, I love you. I love you. I died on the cross for you. So walk. Walk in freedom. Us. Us. God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. If you're able to, would you stand? In this church, we believe that our times of prayer are part of our worship. So, I encourage you just to stay with this for a moment or two, at least. As I was praying before the service, um, I got all kinds of I got all kinds of pictures, to be truthful. I, I think this, you know, guilt and shame and whether you just think those are the same things, it doesn't really matter, or whether you kind of identify with what I've said more about that sense of guilt, the inner, or, or whether you identify more with what I've tried to say about a shame culture where it's the opinions of others that, that shape you. I, I just know that I'm touching on all kinds of deep things for every single one of us about who we really are. And I'm guessing that a lot of us live with kind of of like a low-level sense of guilt or a sort of low-level sense of shame. And the trouble with that low-level stuff is you get used to carrying it. You know, you don't notice that you're slightly hunched over with the weight of it. It just feels like normal. It feels like normal to walk into a room and wonder if kind of anybody, anyone's going to get you. Or it, or it begins to feel normal that you think if anyone knew what was just behind that little locked door in my heart, they'd... They'd think differently about me. So I have a real sense that God wants to speak to a lot of us about that kind of stuff. But when I was praying, I got a picture of someone really sensing something very deep. Uh, My sense was that it, it, it felt like it was almost quite a cold place. And it felt quite dark. And it felt like it was so deep that, well, it was buried. And a real sense that, you know, could God ever, could God ever touch that? And so I'm just wanting to say if, you know, wherever you are, whether you have any sense at all of just having got a bit used to being shaped by the opinions of others or feeling a bit of guilt if if that's you or, or if you are in that deeper place and I just want to say thank you for being here tonight because you are the best of us to come to come to a place like this when you maybe have those difficult things in your story because of how others have treated you thank you for being here And wherever we are, I just want to ask the Holy Spirit now. As the Spirit of Jesus, everything we see in Jesus, we find in the Holy Spirit. The one who picked up a woman who'd been accused of adultery. The one who died on a cross for us. So there would be no more guilt. No more shame. He is the one with us now. And I ask the Holy Spirit to come. I ask the Holy Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit. even just begin to feel a sense of weight just beginning to lift and it's like you've got the choice it's like you've got the choice to carry on trying to carry that or to say Jesus I believe in you I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe there is now no condemnation for me. Take it. Take it. I also keep having that image of the doors in my mind and the thought that some of us think we've got to unlock the door. When Jesus is knocking and we open the door. There isn't a hidden key to find. There is a door to open. To let God in. And then I think the Holy Spirit also wants to do some something for those of us who we want to stand for truth. We want to stand for what's right. But we know we're being shaped by the opinions of others. We're worried what would happen if we told people what we believe to be the truth. And we're struggling with God and the opinions of others. the Holy Spirit isn't going to tell us off about that. He's not here tonight to tell us off about that. The Holy Spirit is here to be alongside, comforter. And so I'm asking Holy Spirit, would you just come? Whatever we need. I just want to invite, if God's just touching you on any of those things, if you want to stand tall, you you are being impacted by the opinions of others, or you just don't want to be impacted by the opinions of others. Or if you want to have a sense of freedom, you want God just to be God in your life and live at peace with yourself. Would you just come forward to the front part of the church and we'll just pray with you gently if you just like to start coming now just you have a sense yes God wants to do something for me tonight that's great thank you for having the courage to come